Welcome to the Daily Tour Podcast, brought to you by the Fredcast. This almost daily summary of the 2008 Tour de France will be presented soon after the end of each day's racing, so that you can stay up to date on the world's most famous, and some would argue, most important annual cycling event. The Daily Tour is brought to you by the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. For weekly news, product reviews, upcoming events, and everything you need to know about the world of cycling, listen to the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. The Fredcast can be found at www.thefredcast.com, iTunes, or anywhere you normally look for podcasts. For over two years and 100 episodes, the Fredcast is the Internet's premier cycling podcast. The Daily Tour is also brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you for your donations via PayPal, and if you'd like to donate, please visit our website at www.thefredcast.com. And now, it's time for the Tour de France 2008 edition of the Daily Tour Podcast. Welcome back to the Daily Tour Podcast. Glad to have you with us. This is David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, and you're listening to our almost daily coverage of the 2008 Tour de France. Well, today is Sunday. It's July the 6th, and it's time for Stage 2 of the 2008 Tour de France. Today, we will be traveling 164.5 kilometers from Auray to Saint-Brieuc, and this, well, you know, it's funny that the tour organizers, the ASO, the Omori Sports Organization, they call this a flat stage. However, there are three category four climbs and our first category three climb, the Mour de Bretagne, about, well, about nearly 60% of the way through today's stage. And it is a tough climb. It's called the wall. This is a short considering, you know, you're a pro tour cyclist. This is a short yet tense, hilly, sort of undulating stage, yet the tour organizers still call it a flat stage. And of course, at the end, this is going to be a sprinter's finish once again, with the last couple of kilometers being uphill, about the last four kilometers being an uphill, a slight rise in the road. And that's where the sprinter's teams are going to use the course to try to get their men into position for that stage victory and the raised arms and the the zipped up jerseys so that they can show those sponsors logos as they go across the finish line. A little bit later, we're going to have an interview with Phil Liggett that we got at the Team Columbia presentation before the tour began. But first, let's recap today's stage. Now, first of all, you will remember that last year's King of the Mountains jersey winner, Juan Mauricio Soler from Team Barlow World was involved in a crash yesterday, and he had some wrist trouble, and there was some doubt as to whether or not he was going to start today's stage, but Juan Mauricio Soler did indeed start, and as you'll find out in a little while, did finish today's stage. Looks like he's in a bit of pain, not sure whether or not he will be able to continue, but was able to start and he was able to finish today's stage. The weather today, well, it was off and on rain and at times the rain was pouring down on the riders. As a matter of fact, you could see the yellow jersey, Alejandro Valverde pulling on a bright yellow rain jacket over his Mayo Jean, his leader's jersey in this year's 
Tour de France. There were some huge crowds out there on the course, especially on the last two climbs, the Mour de Bretagne and the Côte de Saint-Maureau. Uh, the stage started off very quickly with action very early. Uh, about six kilometers out, Danny Pate led a break that included, among others, Jens Voigt, Bernhard Eisel, Sylvain Chavanel, Ivan Gutierrez, and Angel Gomez. By 15 kilometers out, it was Chavanel, Wegman, and Murillo Fisher, but Bouygues Telecom uh, really gave chase. And by the time they were done, they had deposited Thomas Vokler into the lead group, and it was Sylvain Chavanel and Thomas Vokler for much of the day in the break. As a matter of fact, as the day went on, they had well over, well, about a six-minute and 30-second advantage at one point over the field. The first major milestone of the day came with 141 kilometers to go, just 23 and a half kilometers into the race, and that was a Category 4 climb, Chavanel going over first. Chavanel, of course, from the Cofidis team, Thomas Vokler taking second from Bouygues Telecom. And a couple of minutes later, Bjorn Schroeder came across to capture third place, King of the Mountains points. Now, at Camor, 28 and a half kilometers into the race, 121 and a half kilometers to go. There was the first of three intermediate sprints in today's race. Chavanel took first place points, then Thomas Vokler, and then Robbie Hunter from Team Barlow World. Next up, another Category 4 climb, 43 kilometers into the race with 121 and a half kilometers to go. Vokler took the points with Chavanel in second, and David Arroyo came across for third place points four minutes behind the leaders, Vokler and Chavanel. At Pontivy, there was the second of the three intermediate sprints, 74 kilometers into the race with 90 and a half to go. Chavanel taking first place points, and then Vokler with Philippe Gilbert coming across four minutes and almost 30 seconds later. Then came the feed zone, and there was a bit of, a, well, there was a bit of a problem in the feed zone when Frank Schleck took his musette. I believe it got stuck on his, um, the person handing him the musette, I think it got stuck on that person's wrist. It then swung into Jalabert's face, and Jalabert went down quickly back up on his bike. But it does point out how these feed zones can be dangerous locations for the riders. Now, with 72 and a half kilometers to go, was the first of the Category 3 climbs in this year's Tour de France. That was the Mour de Bretagne. Chavanel went over first and then Vokler. Three minutes back, well, we had a couple of chasers. Christophe Moreau and David Lelay from the Agritubel team decided to try to bridge the gap so that Moreau could get some points on this King of the Mountains climb. Now, because this was a Category 3 climb, uh, there were points available for the first through fourth who crossed that line. And here, again, as I said, Chavanel and Volkler took first and second. Moreau, three minutes back of Volkler, took third, and David Lelay took fourth. Now, one of the reasons, perhaps, that Lelay got into this with Moreau to try to bridge the gap is because Lelay is from Brittany in France, so he's a local boy. As a matter of fact, you could see uh, tributes to Lelay all along the course, including in one farmer's field where they had cut out the shape of a bicycle and the words David Lele. Really nice. The crowds, by the way, in the Murr de Bretagne were almost Alpe d'Huez quality. There were huge crowds lining the route 
all around the cyclist. Very shortly thereafter, 68 and a half kilometers to go, so just four kilometers after the Moor de Bretagne, is the Saint-Maillot climb. Here, Vokler took first, Chavanel second, and Moreau, closing the gap, took third, two minutes behind the leaders. Then at Corlay is the final sprint of the day, 61 and a half kilometers to go. Chavanel taking first place points. Volkler taking second, 20 seconds back of Chavanel. It wasn't that he was dropped. It was that he needed a bike change. Apparently he had a puncture and he needed to change that bike very, very quickly and then hammer to rejoin Chavanel. Lele took third place points there, 53 seconds back. By the time they were 57 kilometers to go in the race, all four of the Frenchmen were together leading the race, and they would up until the very end of today's stage. By 25 kilometers into the race, remember we talked about Juan Mauricio Soler, he had fallen off the back of the peloton and was definitely looking like he was struggling and suffering to remain in this year's Tour de France. With five kilometers to go in the race, there was still a 30-second gap to the leader, pardon me, to all four leaders, but soon three of those men would be swallowed by the peloton, leaving just Sylvain Chavanel trying to take off and win a victory for himself. With three kilometers to go, it looked like he was going to hold off the pack until just about the Flamme Rouge with one kilometer to go when he was swallowed up by the charging peloton and the teams trying to get their sprinters into position for the victory today. By the end of the stage, however, remember on an uphill and in a bunch sprint, it was the Norwegian, Tor Husoft, who was able to come around and win the victory just ahead of Kim Kirken. Tor Husoft coming in three hours, 45 minutes and 13 seconds. All of the rest of the top 10 with the exact same time. Kim Kirken in second, Gerald Ciolik in third, Robbie Hunter in fourth place, Eric Zabel in fifth. Yuri Trofimov in sixth place, Oscar Freire in seventh, Casper in eighth, that's Jimmy Casper, of course. Martin Elmiger coming in in ninth place and tenth place to Leonardo Duque from Colombia and Team Cofidis. In the general classification, Alejandro Valverde does keep his yellow jersey, followed very closely behind by Kim Kirken. Third place, Oscar Freire. In fourth, J.J. Kobo Acebo from Sonier Duval. In fifth, from Australia and Silence Lotto, Cadell Evans. Sixth place, Jérôme Pinot from France and Bouygues Telecom. In seventh, from the U.K., David Miller from the Garmin Chipotle squad. In eighth, Ricardo Rico from Italy and Sonier Duval. In ninth, from Team CSC and the Flying Musette from Luxembourg, Frank Schleck. And in tenth, Filippo Pizzotto from Italy and Team Likigas. Keeping the in the green jersey now with 54 points, it's Kim Kirken from Luxembourg and Team Colombia. In the white jersey is the best young rider, Ricardo Rico from Italy and Sonia Duval. And in the polka dot, thanks to his very aggressive day today, gathering up those King of the Mountains points, it's Thomas Vokler from France and Bouygues Telecom with 19 King of the Mountains points. Now, several of the riders that we've talked about over the last couple of days have been from Team Columbia. As a matter of fact, Kim Kirken and Gerald Ciolek, who took second and third in today's stage, are from Team Columbia. Team Columbia, up until this point, was known as Team High Road. They did not have a title sponsor. But just before this year's Tour de France, they were able to gather a title sponsor in Columbia. 
And our friend Carlton Reed from quickrelease.tv and bikebiz.com was at the team presentation in Brittany before the start of this year's tour, and he had a chance to sit down with well-known cycling commentator Phil Liggett, talk to him a little bit about the Columbia sponsorship and some other hot topics that are going on in the Pro Peloton today. So here's Carlton Reed from quickrelease.tv with Phil Liggett. Uh, Columbia here, what does that do for the sport of, of cycling, the entry of Columbia? Well, I'm, what I'm hopeful, um, Carlton, is that it's, it's showing that they've turned, the sport has turned a very difficult corner because of all the recent years of the doping scandals, which is, um, I know it's now highlighted in other sports, but they still pointed cycling as being the druggy sport. And just before this talk came to the line, Colombia announced their involvement, Saxon Bank, the Scandinavian bank, announced their involvement in, in future teams, and uh, so too is Garmin, the Rootmaster company sponsoring the Slipstream Chipotle team. That's a great sign, and that means three big wanted new corporates coming in, and I hope it's the forerunner of a good trend. Um, and for Team Colombia, I know Colombia clothing because they used to supply us when we worked for NBC television at the Olympic Games, so it's really good stuff, believe me, and that's why... Half the team is so happy they've got Team Colombia. Adam Hansen, the Aussie there, he's, uh, he's, he's over the moon because he knows you get nice, uh, nice gear to go on holiday in. They're all wearing the same shoes in there. And yes, all it's, the same it's a super range, yeah, I mean, and it's really. a quality company. Yeah. Well, they're very well known in America, but I guess they're sponsoring this team because they're not really known in the in, in UK, they're known, but certainly in Europe, they're not. That's absolutely right. You know, they're into about 60 countries, but, uh, you know... Cycling is still a very cheap sport to advertise in. These teams are expensive when we talk about 5 to 10 million euros, yes, but you compare that to the sort of budget these major corporates operate with normally. This is almost a below-the-line budget, and, and you reach more people, too, for a lot less money. Um, Motorola, you know, didn't put a lot of money into the sport, and yet I only thought Motorola made car radios until they started sponsoring cycling and found they were a huge electronics firm. And uh, then they pulled out of that to go and sponsor the Olympic Games for many, many more millions. Never heard of them again. They should have stayed recycling. Mm. And Cavendish? When do you give Cavendish the Isle of Man's chances here? Well, as I said in the press reception, he should win. He's got three legs. But in fairness, uh, Mark is, uh, is a character that the sport badly needs. I think he's an absolutely super kid. Um, I'm delighted he comes from the Isle of Man because it's not too far from where I was brought up, like on the mainland there near Liverpool. And I, I think... He's a winner. He's a born and bred winner. I think he's absolutely right when he self-proclaims himself to be the fastest man over the last 200 metres. If he can get in there in the right position, there's nobody can equal him in speed. He's absolutely right. He is the fastest finisher now. Uh, but he's got to get there, and he lacks a little bit of experience coming through the bunch sometimes, and he gets caught out and pushed out. Um, but when he gets it right, there'll be nobody will beat him. I will, like him. Will there be any fallout, do you think, from the Landis decision? The latest Landis decision. Do you think that is just five days is enough to to get it out of the media system? I was very worried. Um, whoever's in charge of all these investigations, how they seem to time their announcements. I'm very suspect about the whole thing. I still believe Landis is not guilty, by the way, and I'll stand by that. I think there's been so many errors. It's past being a joke now. But too many people have been in there with too much vested interest, and uh, they've left it as it was. That's a by the by. But I thought they were timing the announcement just on the start of the Tour de France. And then the other one that's going on, the lawsuit of Rasmussen and Rabobank, I thought that was going to come out as well during the Tour de France. They've both been announced prior to the start. I hope that has cleared the way now for what will be, for the first time for many, many years, 
a controversial tour, but for the right reasons, the sporting ones, and we're now away from all the drug stories. And it's also a tour that is wide open. Who on earth yeah, could anybody predict to win? There's no real outstanding no. figure, is there? No, not really. Cadell obviously goes in the favourite alongside Valverde, two joint favourites. Then you can look at Damiano Cunigo, uh, Denny Menchoff, uh, Sastra. They I'd put as the top five hopes. But the second line, you could find another ten names. Kim Kirken, for example, uh, he could, he, he's finished top ten before, so he knows what he can do. Um, what about Roman Kreuzinger? Absolute knockout in the Tour of Switzerland. If he carries that form into the Tour de France, he might be a secret weapon for the Liquid Gas team. And if you look at the list, I could name at least ten more guys. And ASO versus UCI. This is uh, this might be there might be they might produce the story that comes on their own race here because I know the UCI are very worried about what the ASO are doing with good reason. Look, I'm, Pat McQuaid's a friend of mine. I work for the ASO directly, not just for television uh, as well, and. Uh, I don't agree with the, the stance ASO has taken, but I never ever agreed with the way the UCI took them on and wanted to fight them. And uh, they started the UCI, let's be plain and simple, they started the battle and it looks like ASO are going to finish it. And the end result might be two federations. That is the biggest worry now. Um, the UCI, in theory, should have suspended ASO from the sport of, spon of sponsoring cycling, of organising cycling, because of what they did in Paranese. They should have suspended all the riders who took part in Paranese. They should have uh, suspended the federation, which they've now done anyway. Um, so all that's proved to me is they haven't quite got the teeth they thought they had. They don't do that because the riders are actually side siding with the big promoters. They've got to. That's where their bread and butter is. Um, and it's, making, it's developing in a sport now right for a takeover. And the UCI must be very careful now how they handle this, otherwise there'll be a second World Federation formed out of it. It's happened in darts, and it's happened in snooker in Britain. I'm a very, I never thought they'd ever speak this way about it happening in cycling, but it's getting close. It would coalesce around the French Federation, you think, and then people would join a wholly new international... Well, that, I, I mean, I, I'm going to make it quite clear. I do not agree with what the ASO are doing mm. in trying to split the world of cycling. I don't agree with using just in-house referees, in-house doping officials. It's not the way to go. It's absolutely wrong. I blame the UCI for causing the fiction in the first place. Um, I, I think what... They, only, they say they're not thinking of the Federation. But I think very soon they're going to announce their own calendar. Well, look, they've moved into the Tour of California. Why? That race was about to sign up as a pro tour race. Now it, now it won't because they are involved. Um, they're, they're looking for other races to, to, to gain. They've taken a 49% share in the Tour of Spain. They are controlling all the big races where the riders must go. And let's say, let's face it, they are very good organisers. They give the riders good value for their money and their sponsors. And that's what it's all about. You see, I made the mistake of trying to become an organiser when they're a world governing body, and they should have stayed away from that. And it is crazy to take on an event as big as the Tour you de France. You cannot break the Tour de France. If a guy, a guy can win 20 races in Belgium and lose his contract at the end of the season, if he wins a stage of the Tour de France, he keeps his contract for the next 10 years. That's the difference. Well, we really want to thank Carlton Reed for that audio and for the interview with Phil Liggett. And of course, thank Phil Liggett for the interview as well. I do know that there was a little bit of a background noise there. I apologize about that. But of course, they were in a very large room full of a lot of press and a lot of excited cycling fans. So thanks a lot, Carlton. You can find Carlton's work at quickrelease.tv and of course, also at bikebiz.com. 
And of course, lest I forget, you can also hear Carlton on the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast at www.the-spokesman.com. So with stage two behind us, it's now time to set our sights on stage three. Stage three is 208 kilometers on a very flat course as the riders go from Saint-Malo to Nantes. It is, again, there are no categorized climbs on tomorrow's route. There are three intermediate sprints in the early going uh, between kilometers zero and 62 on tomorrow's stage. And then there are zero categorized climbs as the road just sort of undulates up and down until the riders get into not where there is bound to be a very good sprint finish. However, being that there are no categorized climbs, it is entirely possible that there could be a breakaway tomorrow if the winds are favorable and it could make for exciting racing. And then, of course, looking forward to Tuesday's Stage 4, it's our first individual time trial of this year's Tour de France. Well, that's going to do it for today's edition of the Daily Tour podcast. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Don't forget, subscribe to the Daily Tour, subscribe to the Fredcast, and of course, let your friends know about it as well. And since tomorrow is Monday, and it's the first workday of this 2008 Tour de France, I will be here live blogging via Twitter. So now's your chance to go on to twitter.com slash daily tour, no space between daily and tour, and subscribe so that you'll be able to stay up to date with the minute-by-minute coverage that I'll be providing for tomorrow's Stage 3. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for subscribing. This is David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Hope you enjoy your weekend. We will see you all for another episode of The Daily Tour tomorrow. That's it for today's episode of The Daily Tour Podcast. If you'd like to comment on the show, please send an email to thefredcast at gmail.com. That's thefredcast at gmail.com. Or you can send a voicemail to area code 435-258-6373. That's 435-258-6FRED. Be sure to follow our frequent live updates of the day's racing via Twitter. The Twitter username is Daily Tour. Remember, there's no space. And you can sign up for those at twitter.com slash daily tour or by sending a text message to 40404 with the words follow daily tour. And of course, please check out our website at www.thefredcast.com for the final results of the day's racing and of course, for the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. I will see you all again on the next episode of the Daily Tour or the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. Please don't forget to tell your friends about the show. We love to get new listeners. And in the meantime, thank you for listening to the Daily Tour Podcast. Thank you.